I noticed all my Auburn friends made it to church today, so I not seen some of y'all in a while, but good to see you guys. Come on, that was a joke, that was a joke, that was a joke, that was a joke. Ah. It is the first Sunday of Advent, <clears throat> and um, I, I, I look forward to it every year. Uh, the Advent season moves us to Christmas, that's the, the birth of Jesus, um, <clears throat> because it creates longing. It forces us to deal with our hearts in ways that maybe during the normal calendar of the year we don't deal with. And so it's good for us. As we look to uh, celebrate Jesus' birth, we're forced into the sort of time between the times. Because we know he's been born, we know he came and lived a life and died as Pastor Ryan just shared. He was resurrected. And so we look to something that's happened, but in doing it, we connect with longing, which is really a longing for something that we want to happen again, that he would return. And so Advent has a way of waking us, making us um, alive. We have a couple of weeks here because we're having that Christmas party, so we're going to have a couple of weeks in the book of Micah, uh, which uh, you may have trouble finding it. Uh, it's one of the minor prophets, but one of the reasons I like the prophets is uh, they understand longing and desperation. Uh, they understand despair. They understand the sort of language of the heart, of the soul. Um, that Advent is seeking to stir within us. And so we'll have a couple of weeks uh, in that place. Um, Micah is uh, it's a dark book it's a dark place it's really about hopelessness and judgment and then there's this light this flicker of hope in the middle of it and the truth is if we if we were honest about our own lives about the world we live in it's a fairly hopeless place it's a fairly dark place now we can mask it and cover it with all of our stuff right we just had the black friday saturday Cyber Monday, whatever. We, we have so many. We can do that. I'm not saying that's all bad. We, we partook in some of that ourselves, and there's great deals, and you can buy presents, and that's good. But we can cover um, the deep places in our heart by distraction, or by things, or by entertainment, or by gadgets, or by whatever it may be. <clears throat> um, but our lives are very different in the context of, say, the Old Testament prophets, but in the deep longings, they're not that different. And so, Pastor Ryan and I are going to look at a couple weeks to reestablish hope. I was heard of a man recently, a man I know, who I heard, a uh, uh, um, successful businessman, wealthy man, true story, made one, one deal, one bad investment. Investment went south, uh, circumstance he couldn't have known about, he couldn't have planned. They went south and he, he lost it all. <clears throat> and uh, now he, you know, sits on his back porch and drinks beer. And they kind of deal with the reality that life seems to be lost. Um, that's an extreme story, but all of our stories are are woven with places where we feel hopeless. Hopeless that um, our, 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 our kids will be godly, will grow up to maturity. Maybe if they're older, we'll return to the Lord. Or our marriage will be different. Or our financial status or situation will turn. Or 
we'll be employed or we'll get through school or we'll quit being bullied at school or something. We all feel a sense of hopelessness in a variety of places. Advent seeks to arouse us. These are the last words of the book of Micah. Another reason we chose Micah is it. It's really this, we've been talking about Abraham, but it's really the story. It's the same story. Listen to these words. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing, our, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquity underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. As you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. It's about the, the steadfast love to Abraham, right? Remember the covenant? That's the word, steadfast love. It's the Hebrew word, hesed. It means the covenant, faithfulness, I will not let you go, love of God. In a book about judgment and doom, there's a reality that God will not let his people go in the darkest moments. Most of us live sort of in the middle. We don't, we don't look at or we don't want to feel the deep despair and the desperation, which means we also don't know the longing and the hope and the glory of what we're made for in Christ Hopefully we can tap into some of that in these next few weeks. Let me read our passage. He, uh, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Micah <clears throat> chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. This is the word of the Lord. Now muster your troops, O daughter, o daughter of troops. Siege is laid upon us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who was born, she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for our time together. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for all of Scripture that is God-breathed, speaks to us in ways that we we can't fathom. It does a way of working in our hearts, of, of cutting us, of healing us, of dividing us and tearing us, and yet mending us back together, we pray that you would use uh, these feeble words of mine to uh, be heard, to minister to your people. That you would receive the glory and honor that you're due. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Micah is um, about, he comes to warn the people of judgment. They have sinned. Uh, They have done wrong. And there is going to be judgment. There is going to be exile. There is going to be doom. They've had a series of ungodly kings, and uh, it's not looking good. The Assyrians are on the rise. The Babylonians are in the distance. Um, Verse 1 in our text speaks of war is imminent. Now you muster your troops, O daughter of troops. It's it's sort of a 
sort of a slap in the face, daughter of troops. It's like war is a men's thing, but Israel, get your, get your, get your ladies together. You're going to go to war and you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be under siege and you will be, you will be doomed. And so it's a dark place. And so before we talk about uh, the despair, I want to talk about, uh, make the connection of what does Israel really want? Um, what does the text speak to as their longings? Um, because uh, when we get numb and we get overwhelmed, um, we fail to hope. We fail to long for more. We fail to, to think about what we were made for, of something greater or grander. And certainly, in this situation, uh, Israel wants protection. They want safety. Um, they have enemies on the rise. Um, it's just, but there's something more. I think that's true of us. It says in 4 and 5, um, And he, this one to come, shall stand and shall shepherd the flock. And they shall dwell secure, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Of course, they want uh, their enemies defeated, but they want more than that. Uh, Israel wants peace. They want security. They want to be shepherded. They want someone to lead them besides still waters, right? They want someone to nourish them, to guide them, to lead them. To make the world right again. Sometimes it's gotten so bad or we've become so accustomed to it, we've actually forgotten what we were made for. So, so in this doomsday book, the prophet's going to say, yeah, but there's something great. There's something grand. There's something to make it all right again. And, and that's really what Advent's trying to do in us. It's to give us a longing beyond uh, but beyond what we see, we've forgotten what we want, forgotten the big picture. It's true on many levels. It's true uh, certainly here on a, a governmental level. They've had lots of bad kings. Uh, it's true for us on a governmental national level, right? I mean, what do we long for? I mean, if I ask you, this is not a political party thing, but if I ask you how we feel about politicians in general in our culture, we kind of smirk, right? We, we've become cynical. We've lost sort of hope and honesty and, and, and goodness and righteousness. But deep down, we were made to be governed, to be led well, to be guided, to be directed in the righteous path and the ways which would be gone. That's why Israel talks so much about David and so heightened about David because there was a time when we had a good king and all was right in Israel. And so that's why the prophets are saying there's another king like David coming because of God's people. We want to be shepherded. We want to be led. The truth is we have a good country. We have a good government. And so our system has made it where we've actually can exist and we sort of we we have low expectations maybe on politicians <laughs> because our system and our culture and our country is good and we thank God for that and yet the deep desire is to be shepherded well to be guided to be led this is the, actually the birth of of cults uh what are all cults have in common they have uh, some strong 
charismatic leader, right? He's got a strong message. He's got a strong word. He rallies the troops. And we as people, we're longing. We don't even know it. We're longing, would someone lead us well? Would someone take us to the place of goodness and flourishing and delight? And we've, we've so given up that vision that we've just kind of settled. And we're like, yeah, they can do, the, do the best they can do. It's fine. It's just the way of the world. <clears throat> but here, Micah wants him to, to long for more. To be shepherded, to be directed in strength, in majesty, to bring security, to bring peace. It's corruption in a national level. We want security and peace, but we want it personally. Um, the Israelites were in turmoil. If you read the whole book, there's a sense of uh, their own struggle, their own sin, uh, their own sleeplessness, their own nagging, knowing their own hearts and their own dispositions. We want that too. We want that as people. Um, we want safety individually. We want safety. I mean, we want to live in a world where we don't have alarm systems. And we don't have gates around our communities and where we, we don't have apps to track or protect our kids from predators. Think about all the things we do to make ourselves safe and secure, right? And we, we call that being good parents or being thoughtful. And it is. But if you realize the, the reality of how far we've gone down to have to do that, right? we have apps where we can see people ringing our doorbell, right? And we can see who's there. Because we live in a world that's not safe and it's not, it's not good. It's not secure. We have school shootings. Can you imagine that? We want our kids to play in the streets and to play with their neighbors. We long for it on nationally. We long for it individually. Um, <clears throat> and so we're, we're constantly at, at we're constantly on, 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 on our minds. Uh, if you've talked to any, you know, many war vets, um, I see you, Jeremy, back there. I know Jeremy's dealt with a lot of, uh, a lot of the military, and, and certainly PTSD is a real thing, but the story after story, they come back from war, and, and what do they do? They're, they're always scanning, right, for threat. They're, they're hypervigilant. They're, they're always on edge because you never know around the next corner what it could be, where the threat, where the danger we live in a world like that. We live in a world where that's a reality. It's not just physical, though. It's psychological. Israel's conscience is seared. Their world is fragmented. There's no peace. Do you, anybody know sleepless nights here? Anybody know fe- worry about your kids? Worry about your bank account? Worry about your aging parents or your sick parents or your, your troubles. We know difficulty. Decisions to be made tomorrow morning that could go one way, could go another way. So we worry. Our relationships aren't secure. We have breakups. We have divorce. Churches split. Think about that. Churches split. Family members don't talk to each other for years. We lose jobs. Companies get sold. There's no guarantees, right? Healthy people get cancer. I mean, you think about that? 
it's so normal, we don't realize what we were made for, what we long for. And, and the prophets aren't just trying to say, hey guys, let's hope things turn around and it'll be an exile and then one day maybe it'll be a little bit better for your community. He wants to paint a picture of being led by this great one to security and safety and peace and goodness. And so, what do we do with these realities? We can't look at them face on. At least the culture can't. We can't stare at the truth of the world. And so, what do we do? I just mentioned some of them. We distract, right? We entertain. We numb ourselves by a variety of substances. We turn to do something to not look at it, to not deal with it. Um, we even do that in the church. Um, you know, we say things like, well, you know, hardship, that's just a normal part of life, you know. It's just part of life. Uh, I, I've had the, the privilege, I think, of, of doing quite a few, I guess, the tragedy and the privilege of doing quite a few funerals. And, uh, you know, pe- people want to say the right thing, and they almost always say, well, you know, this is just a norm- death is just a normal part of life, Right? Or hospice comes in and they say, this is just the natural uh, dying process has begun. And I'm always caught by that. Yeah, it's normal in an abnormal world, right? Natural death, right? (laughs) Those are like oxymoron. They don't go together. We were not meant to die. We were not meant for that to happen. We're not to live in a world like that that's fragmented and broken. In a sense, in all of us, there's this echo of Eden where there's some tapping into in our own whole. We're made for more. We're made for for goodness. We're made for life and for flourishing and for relationship. Micah's not just going to give them something small. He's going to paint a picture. And I think Advent, as we speak here about the one to come, it does that for us. And I want us to seize the day, seize the next month, to let it stir in you the longing. Yeah, it'll bring up the grief of where we are and then the hope of what is to come. That's what God has made us for. As we thank God for uh, people that comfort us in death, but we should also cry foul because we were not made to die. So there you go. Our longings. Our hearts are made for more. Let's talk about why we've lost it. What's caused the problem? Why don't we have security and peace? Why, why a sense of hopelessness? Um, the first thing we see, it's, it, it's us. <laughs> Bad news, it's our us. It's our, own, it's our own sin. And before we go pointing the finger, before we name all the problems out there, we've got to name it here, right? Christianity is a religion that says it's about the inside out. But the first thing that's gone awry is our own hearts. We've got to get the log out of our own eye. Uh, it's idolatry. This book of Micah begins like this. Listen to this. It's a, uh, it's a lawsuit. God brings a lawsuit against his people. Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, all that is in it, and let the Lord of the earth be a witness against you. They, the, the prosecutor brought the, the chief witness and guess who it is? It's the Lord himself. All earth, I got my witness, it's myself. The Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, has come down to tread on the high places. And all of this is for the transgression of Jacob, for the sins of the house 
of Israel. I'm coming down because of your sin, because of your idols. You see, the, the high places are the places of idolatry. The people lived in the valley, and on the high places they built the idols of Baal and Asheroth and the variety of people. So they would look to the hills, and they would bow down, and they would worship, and God used the, a word play here. He says, he has to come down to your high places. And he comes down and he sees them and he's going to crush them and he's going to melt them. Those are the idols of our heart. And Psalm 121 says this, I lift up my eyes to the hill, the psalmist says, from where does my help come from? It's not from the high places. It's from the maker of heaven and earth. And yet he's the one that we have forsaken. He's the one that we have turned our back on. We've created idols. We've tried to solve the problems of our own heart and desperation in ourselves. And one of the things we see in religion, you see a lot of uh, sort of legalistic groups, right? We talk a lot about grace here. You see a lot of groups that are legalistic. You know, you can't drink and you can't dance and you can't do this and you've got to have a certain length of skirt and a certain kind of hair and you've got all these rules, right? And those aren't the right approach to deal with the problem, but do you know why they're doing those things? Because we, like Israel, have a propensity to accommodate and to conform to the culture and get sucked in and get further drawn in. And so different groups are trying to manage it, trying to fix it, and trying to solve it. Think about how, how do we talk about one another in the church? Do we sound like the world? Do we gossip? Do we slander? Um, how do we spend our money? Are we generous towards others? Is it all about us? What about our, our sexual ethics, right? I've seen that a couple times in the news and the church and how we've compromised. The church looks very much like the world and how we've engaged and how we relate. Micah's speaking to a people that have it's, it's not just the, nation, the Gentiles worshiping on the high places. It's God's people. They've forsaken the Lord, and they're looking to the idols to try to fix the places in their heart. Divine meaning. What are, your, what are your idols? Where do you struggle? Um, <clears throat> maybe I'll get at it this way. What brings you the most stress and anxiety? That's a good starting point. What are you looking for life and meaning? Another way, where do you go when life is difficult? Where do you run? Instead of to the Lord or to his people, where do you run to try to deal with the difficulties and the pain and the despair and the struggles and the stress? Ask yourself those questions. They'll get you pretty close to what our hearts want, to what our hearts run to. We're all guilty. So, Pastor, you're saying uh, the problems in the world are all my fault. <laughs> yes, I am. They're our fault, my fault, they're your fault. But that's not the full story. There's more. There's a second cause of the problems, and it's, uh, it's our leadership. It's our leadership. Um, the prophets, it says in the book, it says the prophets claim to be from the Lord, but they're false in chapter 3. They're unjust, they're wicked, they're corrupt, they've compromised. And so it's our fault and it's our leader's fault. We haven't been led well. 
it's true across the board. Uh, our, our pastors could do a lot better job leading. That's uh, true for me. It's true for our church. It's true for church. I don't know how many people I've talked to in a one-on-one counseling situation where they've experienced some sort of spiritual abuse. Where someone in leadership, a pastor, an elder, a deacon, a, a respected leader, a missionary has used their spiritual power to, to hurt and to wound and to manipulate. It's so common. It's so true. We haven't done well. We haven't done well in the home. F- fathers, parents, we haven't led well. So Israel's to blame, we're to blame, but our leadership is to blame. Even the best leaders are not what we were made to be. What can we do for leaders? We can uh, certainly, if you're a leader or you're playing a role, leadership role, you can examine yourself, examine our standard is high. There should be lots of confession and lots of repentance. If you're not in a leadership role, you should pray. You should pray for your leaders. We can do that in the church, in the home. We can do that on a national level for our government, for the world. We can pray. So it's us. It's our leadership. Finally, there's another problem, uh, another cause. It's, it's the pretty obvious one in the text. It's the world. It's the world. It's the evil one. Put those together. See, we, we confess because we're sinners, but we've also been sinned against, right? We've also been hurt by others. We've been wounded. And this book, Judah is being punished because of their sin, but the, the, the people that are going to bring the punishment are a, a wicked empire, the Assyrians. In 701, they're going to come in and they're going to they're attack the people of God. And it's prophesied in this book, they're not even on the scene yet, the Babylonians, and they will come and they will take Israel southern kingdom and they will carry them off into exile think about daniel and nebuchadnezzar and that whole story right there's wickedness out there to bring judgment unfortunately we don't know that kind of war and judgment right we we i mean we we do know at some level we know terrorism is a deal we know oppression is in our world we know racism is an issue um we're fairly safe at least we think But one thing we do know is there is an enemy that is out to destroy us. To lure us to compromise, but 1 Peter says the devil is a roaring lion seeking to devour us, to devour us, to destroy us. Physically, maybe, but certainly in terms of lies and accusations. Satan is called the, the accuser of the brethren, the liar. He comes to sow seeds in our heart and minds to discredit us, that we're unforgivable, or maybe we don't need forgiveness. Maybe we're unlovable. I met with a, 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 an individual a couple weeks ago, and she shared with me that um, <clears throat> all that God's doing in her heart, and she said the fundamental reality is I realized I don't believe I'm lovable. Every story in my life reinforces the same narrative. And so I translate that with the Lord. <clears throat> that voice is not uh, from the Lord. It's from the evil one. And you have a voice. 
You have a story, you have a narrative that's played out, that seeks to destroy. And there was a kid, you remember, um, <clears throat> sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? You remember that thing? You remember that anybody said that? That's probably one of the biggest lies. I would much rather the, the sticks and stones. But when the words come and the accusations come, they cut deep. They strike fundamentally at who we are or what we believe about who we are. And Jesus is rewiring us and giving us a new narrative, a new name. And yet we struggle with words and accusations. The lies come. We have an enemy. How you feeling? Feeling good? Feeling pretty confident? Advent. Christmas presents, right? Elf on the shelf. This is great. We're sinners. Our leaders are not what they're supposed to be. And there is an adversary, both uh, the world system and an evil one that is out to get us. Merry Christmas. If you feel a little bit of that, just a little bit, you're getting close to what Micah's trying to do to the people of God. They hear, the, they hear this outside Jerusalem, right? It's armies coming. <laughs> it's the battles coming. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be carried off. They're, they're receiving uh, literal death threats on their doorstep. They haven't slept, right? And it's in that context, in that context that God speaks a word. That God reminds us of his hesed of his covenant faithful love. What's the solution? <clears throat> he says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans, from you shall come forth one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient of days. And he shall stand, and, his, and he shall shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. In the middle of the darkest, worst. Think about your worst now. Think about your biggest fear. Maybe you've experienced it. Your worst nightmare. In that context comes the word of hope. A godly Ruler is coming. Hope is not gone. And he's, he is powerful. He stands. He has authority. He has might. But he's also one of peace. Isaiah says he's the prince of peace. The text says he shall be their peace. Did you notice that? It didn't say he shall give you peace. It says he shall be their peace. Peace is a person. How about that. Can't be bought. Can't be won with armies. Can't be won in the office of a president or power. It can't be won with uh, gates. It can't be won with bank accounts. It can't be won with reputation. It can't be won. It's actually a person. A person that will come for us. 
How's he going to do it? How do we get this person in the most surprising ways? Oh, Bethlehem, you're too small. You're too small to be among the clans of Judah. The small little place of the nowhere. This is like, you know, I don't, know, I don't want to offend anybody. This is like a Citronelle, you know. Where's the, where's the place that's nowhere? You know, the place, go to the sticks and then go further. Right, this is the place. Ephrathat is the district. Nobody knows about it. It's not a good place. It's God's subversive way to undo the powers of the world, to take the world's systems. Instead of coming power on power, he comes as a baby in humility to rewire and change the whole thing. Isn't that amazing? Israel wanted a king. They wanted power. They wanted authority. And he came in a manger in a nowhere place to show the world that it's, that's not the way of God. It's amazing. It wasn't a recent thing he did. It says he's from of old. He's from of ancient. This has been purposed and planned in the heart of God before the time began. His plan to what? To rescue you and you and you and us from our hopelessness, from our worst nightmare, from our despair. I, I don't know where you are. I don't know what your world's like. You might be flying high and this is like, thanks for the message, you know. But if you have your eyes open, you live in a dark world. Um, and that's why we light candles. Because Jesus has come into our darkness to give us life and hope. And as we celebrate it and we look forward to it, anticipation grows. Let the presents and the bows and the trees and the pictures and the excitement point you to the longing and hope that he will come again and make it right. That Eden will be true except even better. That's what we're about as the people of God. My encouragement for all of us is this Advent, don't settle. Let, let's get what Micah wanted us to get. Hearts renewed longing for the goodness of God. For more. For real peace. For lasting peace. For eternal peace in Jesus who has come for us. Can we do that together? Can we celebrate together? Can we push each other to hope and joy? Can we hold each other's hand? Can we pick each other up? point each other to Christ. Let's do it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the good, good news of the gospel. We thank you that you have come in your son in the most surprising way, a way we couldn't have expected. We want power on power, and yet you changed the world through a baby in Bethlehem. Our minds cannot fathom your wisdom and your goodness and your justice and your mercy and your kindness and your compassion. And yet we acknowledge today, no matter where we are, that it is true. Father, we pray during this Advent season, would you create a longing and a hope within us. May it grow, may it flourish, and may it change us. We pray in your son's name. Amen.